Welcome to Therapy on the Cutting Edge, a podcast for therapists who want to be up to date on the latest advancements in the field of psychotherapy. I'm your host, Dr. Keith Sutton, a psychologist in the San Francisco Bay Area and the director of the Institute for the Advancement of Psychotherapy. At the Institute for the Advancement of Psychotherapy, we provide training in evidence-based models, including family systems, cognitive behavioral therapy, emotionally focused couples therapy, eye movement desensitization reprocessing, motivational interviewing, and other approaches through live, in-person, and online trainings, on-demand trainings, consultation groups, and one-way mirror trainings. We also have therapists throughout the Bay Area and California providing treatment through our six specialty centers, which are each grounded in evidence-based approaches. With our lifespan centers, our Center for Children, Center for Adolescents, where all the therapists are working systemically, our Center for Couples, where all the therapists are using emotionally focused couples therapy, and our specialty issue centers, our Center for Anxiety, where all the therapists are using CBT and then EMDR for trauma, and our Center for ADHD and our Oppositional and Conduct Disorder Clinic, where we're integrating those four approaches. Additionally, we have our associated nonprofit, Bay Area Community Counseling, where we provide treatment for those in financial need who can't afford the licensed experienced therapists in the Institute, but can work with associates and clinicians developing their expertise through our nonprofit. Additionally, as part of our nonprofit, we also have the Family Institute of Berkeley, where we provide treatment training and one-way mirror trainings in family systems. To learn more about training, treatment, or employment opportunities, please go to sfiap.com. And to support our nonprofit, you can go to sf-bacc.org to donate today to support access to therapy for those in financial need, as well as training and evidence-based treatment. BACC is a 501c3 nonprofit, so all donations are tax deductible. Today, I'll be speaking with Ladislav Timilak, who is the course director of the Counseling Psychology Department at Trinity College in Dublin, Ireland. Ladislav, or LATSO for short, is involved in the training of counseling psychologists and his research interests are in the development of emotion-focused therapy, as well as online mental health interventions. He has written or co-written 10 books, chapters, and over 100 peer-reviewed papers in both his native language, Slovak, and in English. Some of the titles of his most recent books are Transforming Emotional Pain in Psychotherapy, an Emotion-Focused Approach, Transforming Generalized Anxiety, an Emotion-Focused Approach, Essentials of Descriptive Interpretive Qualitative Research, Transdiagnostic Emotion-Focused Therapy, Essentials of Qualitative Meta-Analysis, Transforming Emotional Pain, an Emotion-Focused Workbook. He provides trainings for clinicians in these approaches internationally and directs the Emotion-Focused Therapy Research Group and co-directs an e-mental health research group. He previously co-edited Counseling Psychology Quarterly and serves on various editorial boards and provides expert reviews of academic papers and research grants internationally. Let's listen to the interview. Okay, well, hi, welcome. Welcome, Keith. Yes, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for for joining on the podcast today. So um, we had met uh, when I was over in Dublin um, uh, doing some traveling and I was interested in learning more about kind of what uh, psychotherapy is like in Ireland and uh, was reaching out to a number of folks, couldn't find, find people to connect with during that time. And uh, I ended up coming to Trinity um, College in Dublin there and kind of, you know, talking to some of the office staff and they gave me your contact information and you were gracious to come and have tea with me and bring me to the faculty area at Trinity College, which was a special treat. It's just a beautiful 
you know, um, uh, area. I forget what year was Trinity uh, founded. It's uh, Trinity was founded fifteen ninety two. Yeah, so it's just an incredible building, incredible college, and uh, you're head of the psychology program there at Trinity. And we got a chance to chat and talk, and and I learned more about your work with EFT and uh, emotionally focused therapy. Um, got to read some articles and also watch a video of a live demonstration that you did. And so I thought it was really great and interesting and wanted to learn more about your work and about EFT. Um, and But before we even get into that, I, I always like to ask people about their kind of evolution of their thinking. How did they get to doing kind of what they're doing now? Hey, thanks. Thank you, Keith. It's a complex question. Yes, we have an hour and it may take the full hour, but no, mm. I'll be, I'll try to be short. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I just want to correct you. I'm, I'm a director of a counseling psychology program, not the whole psychology department, ah, which is much, big, much bigger. I don't sure, want to take sure. credit for the whole department. Sure, sure. So, uh, so that's that. Uh, the, um, and, and just to situate the room where we were, it was actually common room, yes? So it was staff room, as you said. Oh, oh okay, got it, got it. Okay, so uh, I'm, I'm trained or, you know, I'm based in Ireland now. It's almost 19 years since mm -hmm. I'm in Trinity. And I originally trained, um, my name is a Slovak name is, and I, I originally trained in Slovakia. Mm -hmm. I spent some time as a part of my PhD in Belgium, Mm -hmm. in, in a kind of center for person-centered and experiential uh, psychotherapy at, at uh, uh, Catholic University of Leuven. And uh, I also did postdoc with Robert Elliott in US actually in Toledo. Mm -hmm. So so I had this type of training. As, yeah, I'm a counseling psychologist. My primary training was in, in person-centered therapy and, and my PhD uh, I mean, as a psychologist, I'm trained in other approaches like CBT and so on. But sure. but person center was my kind of main focus. One of the my main mentors was a was a person centered therapist, and and my PhD was on on a uh, helpful events in person centered therapy. That was mm. the, the focus of PhD, yeah. and as a part of it uh, of of that PhD, obviously, I I became familiar with a um, current current incarnation of humanistic experiential mm -hmm. uh, therapy that it's uh, research informed and that was emotion focused therapy or or in early days also in individual form called process experiential therapy so mm. that was the context i knew it from the literature and then uh, obviously i i spent some time with robert elliott who is one of the co-founders of individual uh, emotion focused therapy i mm -hmm. mean i mean primary developer being les greenberg yeah. And Robert was his collaborator on on the first book uh, on individual therapy. So this is what what brought me to EFT. I think uh, I'm an academic. I'm a practitioner mm -hmm. as well. I'm a trainer, a supervisor. Mm -hmm. I do train. I do train also internationally uh, in emotion focused therapy. I'm an in an individual format. I'm a couple therapists as well, but but my kind of ninety nine percent of my academic and research and scholarly work focuses on individual therapy although we are currently running also a couple project uh, mm -hmm. i will have a couple supervision later after we finish you know okay, so that's okay. a part of that project but my, my primary focus of of um, my writing uh, and research is individual therapy uh, primarily emotion focused therapy in the last maybe 14 15 years 
-hmm. prior that, uh, uh, I mean, it would be broader as well. Yes, I, I collaborated. I did a lot of uh, work also on online interventions, and mm -hmm. they were they happened to be cognitive behavioral okay. interventions. Um, anyway, so I had broader kind of focus. Sure. Uh, but but EFT is one of the primary ones. Yeah, great. And can you talk a little bit about person-centered therapy? I think, you know, everybody in graduate school has learned about Rogers and person-centered therapy, but at least from my experience, not in, in significant depth. And I was listening to uh, the interview with you from that uh, series where you were doing the live demonstration and talking about some of the training and they were talking about, uh, you know, Rogers being really interested in research on per person-centered therapy. I was wondering if you can speak to a little bit about kind of the, the nuances or kind of the essential aspects of person-centered therapy that you think kind of, yeah. yeah. So, so that, that that's a little bit my past me is, but okay. obviously person-centered therapy is somehow uh, integrated into emotion-focused therapy, like a current research-informed incarnation of, of an experiential approach. Um, so, I mean, it's difficult to say uh, how to contextualize it is, and, and also for your listeners, uh, depending on their background, uh, you know, obviously person-centered therapy, client-centered therapy dominated academically, probably in, in 1940s and 50s, mm -hmm. maybe a little bit into 1960s as well, mm. uh, where, where the most research and the most fruitful work of, of Carl Rogers was happening. I think that the focus was on... on um, I mean, most of it is now integrated into psychotherapy as such is attentive yeah. listening, mm -hmm. warmth of the therapist, uh, kind of caring attitude, uh, non-judgmental approach to the experience as such mm -hmm. uh, of, of, of a client. I mean, it's now sounds normal, sure. but, uh, but that was actually introduced also in the context of when probably at least in Europe, predominant uh, treatment was um, psychoanalytic treatment where you basically were sitting behind the patient mm -hmm. and uh, were neutral so you wouldn't mm -hmm. show warmth or caring attitude i'm not saying it's a current sure. practice in, in psychodynamic sure, world. Sure. obviously there, there is warmth conveyed but but that was a revolutionary and mm -hmm. and i think it's now integrated as a mainstream in therapy is yes? that the therapist yeah. kind of conveys uh, caring compassionate warm non-judgmental uh, presence Mm -hmm. And and the, the main mean of kind of uh, therapeutic interviewing is trying to check with the uh, client whether you understand their experience or yeah. focus on, on some aspects of that experience, uh, often emotional aspects of that experience, yes, or the main mm -hmm. also bodily aspects of that experience. Yeah, making sure you get it, kind of that they, yes, yeah, that, that yeah, you yeah. you understand, and the client feels like you really yeah, 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 great. So I think that that's a that's a important component of uh, of all therapy currently, mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes it's forgotten that the origin. Uh, obviously, I'm not a, a psychotherapy historian. I'm sure, not saying sure. that Rogers couldn't be influenced, but also by other uh, people practicing it at around that time. But uh, uh, I mean, it came to prominence through his work as yes, that sure. level of presence. And and he wrote this famous paper on necessary and sufficient conditions of therapeutic change mm -hmm. in 1957, where mm -hmm. he was claiming that, uh, you know, non-judgmental, non um, authentic, uh, relating, coupled with empathic exploration 
Mm-hmm. Uh, is is indeed necessary. I mean, he had six conditions, so it was a little bit more complex than yeah. that. But, but uh, uh, then it it is like a major um, uh, kind of component of uh, what's responsible for therapeutic change. Sure, sure, great. Yeah, and I know that you know sometimes people see a Rogers tape and they think like, oh, it's just reflecting. I, I had one teacher that would pause and then ask the class what what might he reflect next and then you know kind of he would reflect something that was you know sometimes different from what other people were thinking and so there was just a lot of thought that was going into the reflection and kind of yeah, uh, yeah. was kind of uh doing the dance between the therapist and the client to really kind of help create change um now you were kind of saying that that so uh emotionally focused therapy or less greenberg's uh, model is kind of an outgrowth of uh, client-centered. And I know in, in Sue Johnson's work, you know, it's kind of that basis of the Rogerian reflection validation. Um, but yeah, tell me a little bit about the connection between uh, client-centered and, and emotionally focused therapy. So, um, you know, I mean, I know it mainly, I mean, some of it I know from kind of conversations with, uh, with, um, uh, people who are involved in developing emotion-focused therapy, and a lot of it I know from from the books and papers as well. Uh, Les Greenberg's uh, PhD supervisor was Laura Rice, who was supervised by Carl Rogers. Mm-hmm. So there is a lineage of scholarly uh-huh. kind of supervision, mm-hmm. and uh, and I know that Les was also uh, apart from being trained in person-centered therapy, he was trained as a gestalt therapist, mm-hmm. and together with Laura Rice. Uh, he and then with a kind of contribution of Robert Elliott, they they um, focus on studying um, uh, fruitful processes in client centered and gestalt therapy. Uh-huh. Specifically, they studied you know um, what currently we would refer to as two chair dialogue for self criticism, uh-huh. or an or a empty chair dialogue for. Mm-hmm you know, emotional injury or so-called unfinished business. So Les actually would study uh, um, kind of processes in them, in the um, kind of sessions that involve this type of dialogues Yeah, that led to some sort of resolution that expert therapists could agree that this was like a productive process versus not productive. Mm-hmm. And he was trying to, to ca- capture con- mm-hmm. constituting elements yeah. trying to capture constituting elements of what's decisive in the process and that that also involved uh, uh, Laura Rice focus on similar things in person centered client centered therapy mm-hmm. where she focused on on uh, so-called problem problematic re- reaction points where, sure. where people were puzzled by something and 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 mm-hmm. she was studying how that puzzlement kind of um, unfolded sure so, sure these are the origins, yes. And then I, I know that Les collaborated with Sue Johnson in, in yeah. Vancouver and outlined the, the couple therapy uh, yeah. that had its own kind of uh, um, uh, development. And sure. So so it, was, it sounds like Les was kind of um, focused on those change moments, those and kind of looking at those moments with the kind of gestalt, the person centered, where where there was like a significant shift. And like kind of understanding that exactly. I mean, it was in the context, like in the context of self-critic dialogue. Uh, what mm-hmm. actually, you know, we now know that it's quite defining process in in a lot of uh, kind of um, 
what constitutes uh, psychopathology or, or you mm -hmm. know, problems. Yes. So self-criticism can be found in, in uh, clients who struggle with depression, low mood, with anxiety, with eating disorders. It's quite universal process yeah. when, when rigid, when self-criticism very harsh or rigid, uh, that it's uh, uh, an important part of a lot of presentations. Mm -hmm. and, and he basically studied how we can address self-critical processes in, in, in the format of um, uh, like a chair dialogue where the critic uh, dialogues with the critic part of you or critical yeah. voice in you dialogues with the part of you impacted by the critic. Mm. And, and you rebalance that criticism either by standing up to it or yeah. softening and becoming more compassionate. Mm. So this is what he studied in the context of self-critic and in terms of unfinished business, it was more pivotal injuries that you experience with um, significant people in your life that, that yeah. left unfinished hurtful feelings in you. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, you had an opportunity in, in a kind of targeted intervention Again, to access the hurt, articulate the need in the hurt. For mm -hmm. instance, I felt unloved or neglected. I wanted you to love me, uh, expressed uh -huh. to, to the caregiver. And then uh, either facilitating compassionate response, I'm here and I love you, or uh -huh. uh, more boundary-setting anger, uh, like uh, I deserve your love or something along those yeah. lines. But these are the processes that he outlined in terms of uh, and he and his collaborators and, and a lot of other uh, mm -hmm. researchers since uh, elaborated a lot of processes like this that inform practice of emotion-focused therapy currently. Sure. That uh, that uh, we look at the processes in session that we try to facilitate, uh, but the common common thread is that we are trying to look at what's the, at the core of the pain, emotional yeah. pain, what's the unmet needs in that pain, and then we mm -hmm. are trying to generate new experiences often a compassionate response or boundary setting, uh, uh, I call it protective anger, sometimes yeah. grie grieving as well, uh -huh. what was not met. So that's mm -hmm. the focus of, of therapy then currently as practice. Yeah. Okay, great. And, and so the core of the pain, how do you kind of access that or get to that or, or how do you zero in on that core pain? Okay. So uh, you see in um, many, that's, that's, that's central yeah. to, to EFT, right? That core. That's pain. very, that's very central. Okay, that's great. Correct. Yes. So many approaches do not uh, differentiate between, um, you know, like something is upsetting or unpleasant. Uh, they refer to it as, you know, uh, bad or negative emotion or something like that. And obviously they are trying to address it somehow. EFT has a very differentiated uh, um, kind of perspective on emotions, yes? And mm -hmm. certain types of emotions are, are seen as more symptom-level emotions, like hopeless, helpless, often, not always, but uh, um, are more symptom-level. And mm -hmm. then uh, there is more kind of underlying, uh, more central emotion. I'll, I'll give you an example, yes? Yeah. I, I'm a fictional example, yes? I'm coming home from a difficult after difficult day in college mm -hmm. you know my uh, students were not very attentive or whatever it is they were on their mobiles or something so i feel quite subdued and, and down yes and mm -hmm. and i'm coming home and i'm hoping that you know that my partner that i will be able to chat about it with yeah. her uh, mm -hmm. in my context is that i could chat with her and kind of rebound or something and i come and she's on her laptop as well or something mm -hmm. and i'm trying to engage her uh -huh. and she doesn't respond Mm -hmm. Now I can feel 
I can start to feel if if I'm kind of uh, sensitive to feeling alone, she's uh -huh. not there. You know, mm -hmm. that's a, like a primary response. Yes, she's not there. And now yeah. it may be uh, if it's not my core issue, I may just come to her because it may, it will. That's an adaptive. I mean, it could be adaptive sadness, and it would uh -huh. inform my adaptive action. And I could come to her, darling. Would you have? I had difficult day. Would you have some moments this mm -hmm. evening? I I could make our ourselves a tea and we can i would appreciate if you could just be with me a little bit and yeah. she would say fine yes mm -hmm. but that's fine i wouldn't go to therapy with it but mm -hmm. but now imagine that i'm i have we, we refer to it like um uh kind of more um, uh, you know kind of problematic or over time developed emotion schemes where uh -huh. i often feel uh, alone i mm -hmm. come home she's not there and i feel alone and it starts to define me she's not here and then it goes to more secondary distress nobody's ever uh, here and it will mm -hmm. never change i lie down in bed and will feel hopeless helpless maybe irritable yeah and will stay in bed for two months and then we'll go to my uh, gp gp's um a medical doctor in in our context in Ireland, uh -huh. and I will say nothing brings me joy. I feel depressed. Yeah, so that's more symptom level. Mm -hmm. But at the core is really uh, and a kind of chronic experience of not having a, a need met. Yeah. Uh, like in in this example, loneliness. Yes, that um, mm. I feel alone, and you are not here, and I need I miss connection. Yes, I miss uh, mm -hmm. your presence. Studying uh, mm -hmm. in session processes, where when we uh, look at the, what's at the core of the presentation, where clients feel uh, more most vulnerable, meaning also that uh, uh, you know that they touch on something that is freshly painful, uh -huh. yet has historical context. Um, it, it occurs that we we find three types of experiences that we uh -huh. refer to as core pain or core vulnerability or core uh -huh. emotional vulnerability. And it's a triad of uh, sometimes overlapping feelings. Mm -hmm. One is like sad, lonely, or uh -huh. sometimes it may be a loss or some sort of sadness. Yes, I, uh -huh. I'm alone or I miss you or or uh, I lost you or something. Yes. The second one is shame. It's uh, like I'm inadequate, I'm worthless, I'm mm -hmm. uh, incapable, I'm weak, I'm mm -hmm. stupid and whatever. Yes, so this type of experiences. And the third one uh, are experiences of a kind of um, chronic fear and it's like i'm unsafe is yes? i'm unprotected yeah. i'm exposed or so so what we see that regardless you know my latest book uh, is on transdiagnostic emotion focused therapy mm -hmm. that if you look at it from the typical presentations in an outpatient uh, kind of clinic uh, depression uh, very very various forms of anxiety like generalized anxiety social anxiety mm -hmm. panic disorder and so on uh, or ocd or ptsd and then so on uh, we we see that clients present with symptoms but at the core i mean we are looking at those tapes of, of the yeah. clients in the research studies we find a variant of i'm either alone or uh, worthless inadequate or scared mm -hmm. yeah and corresponding unmet needs for connection for validation or acceptance or for uh -huh. protection okay. and that's the core we are trying to activate it in therapy and generate new experiences that would kind of counter you know that i feel not only alone but i also feel connected to or loved or yeah. i feel uh, worthy of love okay. and this is what we are trying to generate in therapy in the format of imaginary dialogues, because they are particularly vivid, we want to bring or, and build the full experience, you know. It's so. going to kind of evoke 
that that emotion exactly. kind of emotional experience so so the symptom level and the underlying that's not necessarily kind of the concept of like secondary and primary emotions it is yes you, oh, it you is. Could, okay. i mean I, I i sometimes refer to it as a symptom level and uh, and more core more underlying vulnerability sure. but but in eft uh, literature including eft for couples you'll find reference yeah. to secondary and primary Sure, sure. Okay. Well. So you could so kind it's of important. differentiating those, you know. Yeah. It's, it's uh, you know, sometimes for people with non-EFT background, uh, uh, sometimes it sounds like too jargony, like secondary and primary. It's like yeah, how do you yeah. decide? So it needs to be understood as a heuristic. It's basically an assessment that informs therapist's judgment. Sure. In my example, in my example, I would feel hopeless, helpless that nobody will be there for me ever. Uh -huh. But the therapist will not focus on it. Like, so let's stay with how hopeless you sure. feel. Sure. You know, tell me more about it. No, the therapist would actually focus. What is it? If you stay with your partner, if you look uh -huh. at her in imagination, yeah. what is it what you're missing? Mm. see what see what and that will be her presence her closeness her warmth or whatever yeah. do, do you understand her care or something so it's kind of underneath that helpless hopeless exactly and, and, and we exactly and 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 so that differentiation is there for therapists to have a map what to yeah. acknowledge and what to actually focus on sure. so you do you do acknowledge and validate that hopelessness feels miserable yeah. but you are rather looking at what what preceded hopelessness? What preceded your resignation that you resigned? Sure, to, sure. To you know, feeling unhappy is yes? and 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 that's the focus of therapy. And in therapy, we are trying to focus on those primary, but not all primary emotions. I mean, you can focus on all primary, but on the ones that are chronically painful. Yeah. So they're chronically coming back and are quite defining of who I am, how, how I see, experience myself. Yeah. yeah. And part of what I, I, the way I have been conceptualizing secondary and primary emotions is that, you know, kind of the biggest ones that I end up working in therapy or in couples therapy is, you know, there's right secondary, anxious, annoyed, hopeless, helpless, frustrated, you know, um, resentful, you know, all those kind of things underneath, right, are those primary emotions of feeling, you know, sad, feeling alone, feeling hurt, feeling fear, fear, or feeling shame, which I actually think like shame's right in the middle because underneath shame is, is usually fear. Um, are those kind of similar to, to your, or even if you, I need to add with emotionally focused therapy, just in No, 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 I, I, I think, yeah, I think, you know, we, we are, uh, I mean, we are observing as therapists and particularly if you are working in you know, either with imaginary dialogues or with an intention to access vulnerability, you'll come to experiences. I feel alone. I feel inadequate. I feel scared. And and uh, sometimes people have different language. So what you described mm -hmm. and what you consider to be more central than the others, yeah. uh, I mean, it's it's also what kind of guides your interpretation is. But mm -hmm. I think we are seeing the same phenomenon. Yeah, it's just yeah. like pe people may may understand it a little bit differently or interpret it a little bit sure. differently, depending on their training, writings that or readings that they did or supervision experiences and so on. Yeah, but but uh, and you you have a combinations of those. Yes, you you may feel alone and unprotected. Yes, or you may uh -huh. feel un unloved and unlovable. So that's a sad yeah. and shame together. You know. Yeah. So yeah, it's I don't judge it. I mean, it's more for scholarly work that that, that sure. I reduce it. To sad, lonely slash shame slash fear, but yeah. but in terms of actual work with the client, I'll stay with their experience. Yeah, definitely. If I write a scholarly paper on it, I'll yeah, describe sure. it as something. 
But otherwise, I stay with their words, with their phenomenological sure. experience of what's the most painful, what's the most vulnerable, where yeah. I feel most um, kind of um, that this is the difficult uh, chronic feeling that I know, and it comes yeah. in similar situations, and it's it's the feeling that it's quite defining of me. Sure. Yeah, and the, and I think you said schemes of like like the you know uh, that that the person is feeling like I'm alone. I'm always alone. I'm always going to be alone. Like there's kind of a, a narrative that they have, or it reminds me of like kind of the, the schema concept in in CBT. Is that kind of similar? This kind of underlying so, uh, story or kind of narrative? Yeah. I, I believe that we we talk about the same phenomena. It's again mm-hmm. what I as I said, depending on your training, mm-hmm. uh, um, you interpret it differently. I mean, EFT tries to. Uh, I mean, Les Greenberg's term uh, uh, it's kind of central in it. Uh, uh, refers to um, emotion schemes, mm-hmm. uh, trying to emphasize. Uh, you know, y- you may communicate it in therapy that I feel stupid or I feel worthless or I feel. Uh, inadequate or something like that but yeah. what's important here is that it's a it's a, a um, kind of a very holistic experience it's not just a thought i mean right. thoughts are part uh, thoughts are part of it but by by calling it emotion scheme mm-hmm. uh, what wants to be stressed is that uh, uh, it it's it's a there is a felt reference it feels horribly it's not just an, a kind of yeah. an, an empty thought that that i can reinterpret it sure. feels real it feels uh, like this is the uh, sentient way of feeling the reality of how sure. i am yes mm-hmm. so that's one thing the other thing is the fact that it's scheme it's memory based yes so my experiences of coming home and my partner not being responsive mm-hmm. are are colored by all other experiences is when I was seeking connection. I mean, implicitly is implicitly present. So if I chronically experience a Mm non-response, then I'm more likely uh, kind of uh, perceive uh, environment as non-responsive is or, or, or more inclined to be quickly assuming, you know, but that's, that's all kind of very fast process outside sure, of awareness. Sure. I mean, some of it can be an awareness if I focus attention on it. Yeah, yeah. And and, it, and, and it's quite defining and quick. So this is what wants to be, exp- uh, I mean, uh, emphasized by calling it emotion scheme. Um, anyway, so we try to activate those emotion schemes and yeah. rework them, make them less rigid, make them more kind of uh, um, differentiated, I would say. Yes, that there are experiences that, yeah, I can feel alone, but I also can feel responded. Mm. I'm sure there is a role of biology in it as well, because we may have stronger reactions. Some of us are more reactive than others. So we are more likely to develop if we have adverse events that they leave mark. Yeah. yeah. Because we may be more reactive to certain things. So it's a complex issue, but, but, uh, but the bottom line. Sorry. Yeah. I, no, say, I just wanted to say that the bottom line is that we are going to phenomenologically go to the vulnerable feelings, mm-hmm. try to activate them in therapy, articulate needs in them, because feelings tell us whether our needs are being fulfilled in the interaction with the envi- environment. And we try to generate new experiences mm-hmm. that would that would um, uh, kind of um, uh, restructure those emotion yeah. schemes and make them more more uh, flexible or, or so sure. we, we build that's Antonio Pascalione's term we build emotional flexibility or emotional resilience uh-huh okay 
So, so yeah, so you're going to the kind of core pain and it generally kind of plays out that it's, it tends to be in one of three areas, a sad, lonely, shame, or fear. And each one kind of has a, a, a bit of a antidote or so on connection, yeah, yeah. And acceptance, uh, uh, safety, protection. Yes. Yeah. Safety protection. And that, so in the session, you're, you're kind of then having the person kind of go through an experience uh, with the empty chair to then kind of express these unmet needs and kind of begin to have this, I guess, corrective experience where it, it, they're able to respond in the way they maybe wish to have responded or get the response that they were needing in, in those moments. And yeah, then, yeah. I yeah. yeah, I think in general, yes. I mean, I'll, I'll elaborate a little bit, but but uh, in general, yes. <laughs> what yeah, you just sure. described. Sure. What I just would want to stress small things in it. First of all, you know, you want to create focus. Sometimes it's easier, sometimes it's less easy, but we have now developed case conceptualization and everything. We also have more map on, on symptom level distress. And sometimes you have to work on symptom level because people do suffer from worries or, or from ruminations and sure. or they are avoiding pain and so on so it, it's very complex but the, the core work is then to activate that vulnerable feeling in imaginary dialogues typically sometimes outside of the dialogues but in general yeah. in the dialogues and and express it in in um either uh, recreating pivotal memories or it can be in a current state it, sure. it's very flexible but you want to freshly experience let's say that feeling i'm feel alone and i i miss you yes you're not here yeah. and then you know, when you express vulnerability, you are testing, you're bringing the person and you enact other person originally mm -hmm. that, that uh, you, you felt uh, uh, contributed to the injury or, or whose behavior you perceived as, as uh, hurtful. Mm -hmm. And you, you first of all, you first enact them to recreate kind of injury. Uh, sure early on in in the in the work yeah uh, when it's freshly expressed you want to see whether there is a different response from them because often in if in reality relationships are are uh, you know complex and ambivalent and people were sometimes responsive seeing fresh vulnerability can make your enactment of them your mental yeah. map of them or something more responsive or you can explicitly ask um was there somebody who would understand and enact that person? Or you can have a look at yourself from an adult perspective at younger you. And when sure. you see the vulnerability, you may see whether whether there is a response. But that response has to happen. It, it has to it has to come from within. So sure. it's a it's actually uh um uh kind of um accessed or it it, it is uh, enacted by seeing vulnerability, seeing your vulnerability uh, kind of evolutionary kind of makes you more responsive if you're like seeing vulnerable char child you want to be sure. caring so when you see vulnerable your you just uh -huh. expressing fresh feelings it elicits compassionate caring response yeah yeah so that, that's one pillar of work uh -huh. and the, the second pillar of work is actually which is not stressed in many therapies i mean i'm not uh -huh. saying that in none but is the the boundary setting anger actually or protective mm. anger so if the other is not responsive or if the other is hurtful, we are working on, is it acceptable to you to, to get this type of treatment? Yeah, so yeah. the focus is uh, later on in the, uh, you know, kind of imaginary dialogue is more focused highlighting mistreatment and whether that mistreatment 
generates response that is protective towards the mistreatment. So these are the two yeah. compassion and, and anger are two pillars of how you know when lo where lonely was can be now I'm here with you or yeah. uh, it can be I deserve your presence or uh -huh. where shame was I I value you I'm proud of you or mm -hmm. I deserve uh, or I'm proud of myself I deserve your respect yeah. or where the fear is I'm here I protect you or I will face you yes I will not let you to intimidate me or or mm. uh, you know terrify me and I'll face you so the, this is kind of the gist of the work often okay. particularly often particularly compassion is followed by grieving as well so once you'll get the response there is a natural grieving that it wasn't like that in reality in the yeah. past yeah sometimes you get kind of more come to you come to terms more i mean it's always painful it's not like it's gone but sure but sure. it's it's there is a grieving yes of what happened what i endured and and so on yeah that's well, incredible and it, and it sounds like it's it's so much of this kind of bottom up processing that happens um you know and and i'm hearing a number of pieces in here that it it, it sounds like it's allowing a person to access those emotions and it sounds like what you're saying is that they're they're kind of going in both sides and you're saying kind of seeing the vulnerability like in their self that was harmed or seeing the vulnerability in the person that harmed them um in that or both and and what i've actually so i i didn't focus on that one but you can have some scenarios where that can be you know that you may have experience of connection with the other so you yeah. may see their vulnerability but but it does it may not fit all all sure, kind sure. of potential scenarios yeah so sometimes there may be also experience or particularly if you had regrets if you felt like you hurt somebody yeah. Yeah. obviously then there can be more expression of of i see and uh yeah you know, i'm sorry or so but, but i mean the example i was giving it was not that much focus on the other's vulnerability sure, sure, but sure. i tried to simplify things but, totally. but of course it may be more complex at times you know well it's making me think of like you know sometimes in emdr uh that you know we'll kind of have the person go in and confront the the you know person that hurt them or whatever it might be and you know sometimes if that person is responsive Oftentimes I find that they go from kind of anger to almost like a compassionate response. And then just like you're saying, then kind of to that loss, it's, it almost feels like the cycle of loss, like happens kind yeah, of yeah. in that process and that, and the, the kind of seeing the vulnerability and kind of uh, uh, speaking to that younger self also reminds me of, you know, in internal family systems where the person is using that adult self to kind of, to have compassion and understanding and care for their younger self and, and to kind of validate and witness them. Um, and so I, I really like that. And I mean, and these, I, I consider EMDR and internal family systems kind of these bottom up processing ways of really processing those unprocessed emotions so it's totally yeah, yeah. sense with the eft that in a little bit you're kind of it sounds like maybe there's some top down and kind of understanding the scheme as a therapist and so on but not necessarily going into right cognitions or like maybe explaining or yeah, so on. Yeah. instead just kind of going right for like the heart of it you can't yeah you can't get clients where they are not you know so it has to come from within yeah. So you are just increasing probability. So seeing vulnerability increases probability to uh, to let's say soften or be compassionate. Yes, when you see your own vulnerability, but it may not happen. Yes, and with more chronic people, I mean chronically, uh, um, kind of um, self-critical or something, or very harsh on themselves. It actually is. A, it's a huge struggle in therapy. Yes, and 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 mm -hmm. you do 
you know, Antonio Pascalione does this did that research on on studying emotional sequences, and he calls it one step or two step forward, one step back, and so yeah. on. So you can't go. It 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 has to be authentic. It has to happen sure. like a, a, almost unexpectedly. So it's not scripted. Or oh, now look at the child and what do you yeah, feel? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you don't feel uh, kind of um, uh, compassion, you have to then. Uh, uh, acknowledge like what's the what protects you from seeing that vulnerability yeah yes. see what's coming what, what, up what, yeah yeah what's the fear if you saw it sometimes this or sometimes it may be internalized uh, uh, judgment often it's self-protective yes if i soften you would fool yourself and then you would get even more hurt so uh -huh. i mean i'm i simplify i'm simplifying everything sure, but, sure. but it, it's a complex process and uh, it's very important that the it's not that the therapist would say, oh, repeat yourself a hundred times. I'm proud of myself. And then yeah, it will yeah. work. No, it has to come almost unexpectedly. Yes. In yeah. the face of, of adversity or in the face of mistreatment, you, you stand up for yourself or in the face of seeing that vulnerability and achievement or, or the, the effort that spontaneously this, this has to come. So yeah, we're just creating. Moves. Exactly. We, we just have to, we just create opportunities that this would happen. Yeah. We don't know whether it would happen. We're just yeah. trying to do our best. And if something is too much, we slice it back. Yes, we, we scaffold sure. it more sure. and we'll take a step back and a smaller step may be important first than any yeah. other step, you know. Well, and it reminds me of in emotionally focused couples therapy, we're helping one partner to be vulnerable and that often engages empathy from the other partner. Exactly. So sometimes in stage one in de-escalation, it, you know, uh, engenders kind of defensiveness or so on. But I imagine if the person is doing that to themselves, right, in that empty chair, that it might be easier to access that empathy because they literally had that experience. Yeah. And so it may or it may not. It depends on chronicity of, of uh, you know, let's say a, a very critical attitude towards yourself or something. So sometimes it, it may be puzzling, is yes, that you would feel that the person is very vulnerable. Of course, they would soften and be caring towards themselves. And, and you are met with a lot of contempt. Yeah. So... And that's yeah. then, uh, that's then, uh, you know, and that's at the core of why people suffer is yes? because it's not that easy to bounce back or something. Yeah? So that yeah. um, vulnerability is very ingrained and very rigid in, in how yeah. I process things. And yeah? so anyway, so it's not that simple as sure, it's not sure, simple course, with, yeah. with some couples, with some totally, couples, it may totally. be more. Uh, the, well, especially with, with complex PTSD. Oftentimes, uh, right, that critical part was a uh, protecting part or the person has disowned that vulnerable part. And so there's kind of those yeah. aspects, too. And I, I like how you're saying, too, that there's there's both the compassion aspect, but also that kind of boundary setting or anger. Yeah. So talking with Pete Walker, uh, the author of Complex PTSD, Surviving to Thriving, and he talks about kind of, you know, getting angry at that internalized kind of abusive parent who is that critical yeah. voice versus maybe a lot of other therapies that are only focused on kind of being compassionate towards those different parts of self. Um, but yeah. both both kind of have that uh, that aspect. So that's very important. And actually, we go back to person-centered therapy. It didn't emphasize importance of, of anger or need. Mm -hmm. Yes, it was more about that warm, compassionate mm -hmm. uh, um, 
kind of presence of the relational presence of the therapist that would allow to process vulnerable experiences. But the anger is very pivotal. And, and I would say, uh, like, uh, you know, we, we st I spent a few years um, studying and work with generalized anxiety. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have a book on generalized anxiety. And I would say that anger is even more pivotal because if if you feel uh, that something is scary, if you stand up to it, if you are firm with it, it actually makes you stronger Yeah. rather than if, if you are relying only on reassurance or calming or Sure, soothing sure. or protective presence from outside in. So Yeah. from inside out and facing the, the, the It's what's like exposure. scary. It's like Yeah, exposure, yeah, but you know, I mean, kind it, of. it's a little bit more than exposure because in exposure you get used to it that it's not that threatening. Yes, Sure. here it's Right. also that I I don't want you to limit my life. Yes, I want to reach Oh. out and do what I want to be doing. I I don't want so it's it's actually uh, uh, exposure is more about habituation. This is more about uh, I don't want to miss out because of Definitely. the anxiety or fear. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, it reminds me of like in the way I think with uh, exposure work is that we're not getting rid of anxiety. We're getting the confidence that I can feel the discomfort and still Yeah, go yeah. forward. So that's close to it. Um, Yeah, I think so. Yeah. and it also, it makes me think too of, as you're describing about not letting it get in the way anymore. It makes me think of a narrative therapy, kind of that externalizing and not letting the anxiety Yeah, yeah. or such get in the way of, uh, you know, being able to do the things you want or have the life that you wish or with kids I, getting I, in the way of your fun. Um, yeah. I think that there there are a lot of overlaps, and that we, we are looking at very similar uh, phenomena and. Um, You know, I think if we watch tapes, we, we would often agree, people from different orientation, that that's adaptive process, that's a healing process, that's therapeutic. Schema therapy, I think, has a lot of concepts that, that are similar as well, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in, in terms of kind of healing the, the vulnerability or hurt and so on. What EFT kind of specifically focuses it, focuses on and what can how it can contribute is because it it uh, it's based on a lot of process research so there's a lot of uh, you know that we, we have emotional productivity scale emotional arousal scale we have a cognitive classification of affective meaning scale i mean these are all process research scales Yeah. but they're also used in training to to Mm. train people to be able to access assess uh, you know what's the level of arousal does this client uh, does they have capacity to to kind of touch on their vulnerability more is that vulnerability too much now Oh, wow. what's the opt what's the optimal window for them to be Yeah, with you know yeah. what's the healthy anger because you know you have also unhealthy anger like reactive Sure. we call it reactive or a rejecting anger or secondary anger you can say like uh, it may not be fitting often a healthy boundary setting anger is not with much arousal but it's with the firm firmness and strength inside like along the lines of confidence that you mentioned and so on so it may not be very kind of reactive like Sure. what you did to me you horrible person it may be i'm strong you can't harm me yes or Yeah. i i i'm not afraid of you or something like Yeah. that yes or i just feel okay in myself yes and Yeah. And this emotional processing. So one way that I've conceptualized, like, for example, with trauma is that, you know, this, this trauma happened and the person wasn't able to process it at the time. So it's kind of like these emotions are, are stuck. And that's where kind of an EMDR or different trauma therapies, you're sitting with that, those emotions and kind of helping process or put it together. And I don't know if that necessarily fits at all for this model But I'm hearing too that when the person has this corrective experience or kind of has this, you know, um, the, this kind of change 
uh, moment that they're kind of experiencing themselves and their emotions in a more flexible way rather than kind of maybe having that rigid emotional scheme is that kind of what yeah, exactly exactly i mean if you talk specifically about trauma i mean narrowly defined trauma is where you are uh, endangered or your close one were endangered in terms of health or life or so i mean more narrowly because everything every adverse experience even shaming or abandonment are traumatic yeah. but but I, I, if i'm just thinking more in terms of danger it is like more kind of narrower uh, definition of trauma so this is particularly it's powerful experience so you'll be scared of similar type of situations or you may experience some situations as scary as because they that's mm -hmm. a very quick processing that that you certain things are experienced and felt as dangerous is yes, very quickly and, and yeah. you may not want to feel or you avoid where you could feel it so mm -hmm. uh, you you may have emotional avoidance or behavioral avoidance that you don't want to kind of have this type of experiences but uh, what actually happens here increases the window that I'm able to stay with those experiences and have them kind of experience differently is yes? either that there is more a response to that vulnerability or scary fear terrifying yeah. feelings I felt or I stand up and face the you know kind mm -hmm. of uh, uh, I mean the the memory of abuse or the me memory of assault or something and I stand up right. and fight back so you are reworking that the next time you are in kind of vicinity of similar triggering yeah. situations you are not only organized by it's dangerous yes it's also unpowerful yeah. or I I it's not totally dangerous or mm -hmm. you know you, you you're becoming more differentiated in your responses but it's not uh, because of an uh, an analysis i mean analysis is fine but it's also implicitly safer or you feel yeah. implicitly more powerful to to be yeah. you know confident and so sure or even like in internal family systems kind of connecting to your adult self that like you're no longer that young child who was maybe five years old and helpless yeah, and yeah, powerless yeah. and so on and kind of even though it still feels scary or so on but kind of almost experiencing yourself differently than kind of more that emotional flashback i i believe you refer to same phenomenon you know different approaches may have different language yeah. for for something totally. like that and um but i think that uh we're trying to name I mean, I mean, scholars, academics, psychotherapists, very similar phenomena that we encounter, you know? Yeah, so I, I yeah. Think, yeah. Well, it sounds like incredible work. Um, tell me about what, what you're working on now or what's kind of upcoming. So, you know, we are, we had a... Um, a book that will be promotion is now uh -huh. yeah <laughs> so there is a uh, there was a book published 2022 transdiagnostic emotion focused therapy by apa with, with my colleague mm -hmm. dara uh, kyo and we we are running a, an rct now that's uh, specifically looking at uh, at um, uh, eft for depression uh, various anxiety uh, presentations like gd social anxiety panic disorder and so on uh -huh. and ocd and ptsd so that's a trial we are running and we are learning even more uh, about the interaction between symptom level work and more underlying core vulnerability level mm -hmm. work so that's one of the projects mm -hmm. we have a, a, a also a published book uh, you know many experiential approaches do not have um client workbooks type of yeah, books. Yeah. I mean, there are some, but they can't be compared to the amount in CBT. Sure. Because often there is a sense that you can't recreate something so flexible or you know yeah. 
as I described, but we attempted to do it a little bit. So we have a book out uh, that it's called Transforming Emotional Pain Client Workbook. Uh And uh, Aman Kwakra is the first author. It's uh, one of my former students. And uh, we are running psychoeducational programs uh, mm -hmm. for students in student counseling service in our college. Uh, and uh, it's a six-week program where they are learning also to work with um you know how they stop themselves from feeling or how they worry themselves not to feel uh, that, that something would happen that would bring painful feelings or how they yeah. learn to regulate when they're upset but also how they can do imaginary dialogues with uh, people that hurt that they yeah. experienced hurt with or with a, a dialogues with his own self-criticism so we we do that as a, as a project we, we have a couples project that we uh -huh. Uh, currently run and we collaborate with Les uh, Greenberg on it and that's for uh, comorbid uh, relational uh, dissatisfaction in, in a couple in romantic couples coupled with um, at least one of the partners meet, meeting criteria for clinical uh, diagnosis either depression or uh, GAD social anxiety yeah. uh, panic disorder or OCD or PTSD so mm -hmm. similar like we do in individual yeah. therapy with we are at the start of a project uh, with a comorbid kind of mental health issues and, and relational distress. I, I'm sure we are running much more than that because sure, it's wow. <laughs> yeah. sounds like a, a whole lot of uh, different areas. And, and I, I love kind of looking at the comorbidities because so much of the research is, is kind of just, you know, kind of only picking clients with the very certain kind of particular thing. But as, as in practice, many times there's, there's the majority are, have comorbidities going on. Um, I, I actually now remember that like, I'll just add one more sure. thing, if I may, that, uh, uh, that's actually what I'm working currently on, but, <laughs> but that's, uh, at the very start, that's why I didn't mention it. It's, uh, you know, that in, in therapy over the years, we, we didn't improve outcomes. I'm not talking about EFT. I'm talking about psychotherapy as such. If, yeah. if you look at the outcomes in the 80s of the first uh, kind of rigorous um, uh, randomized controlled trials, uh, like of CBT and interpersonal therapy for depression, I mean, if you replicate those 20, 30 years later, we do not have better outcomes. So something mm. is happening. Do you, I mean, they are roughly the same, the outcomes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, occasionally, you may have better outcomes, but roughly... It's not not dramatically, I mean, uh, better. That attests to complexity of uh, you know mental health issues and so on. But but uh, it also uh, tells us that we probably there is a room to improve. And and uh -huh. I think one of the ways that is intriguing me currently is to have a look at um, how processes that are good in session can be further supported outside of session. Mm -hmm. I mean, be, beyond homework, beyond yeah, homework. Yes, yeah. People are, you know, uh, left twenty four seven their week, but they have they are only one hour in therapy. Sure. And so, what's happening uh, outside of therapy? How we can interweave their uh, social practice or or being, yes, outside yeah. of the session. So that's actually of interest uh, of mine to develop cool. uh, uh, scaffolding processes uh, that could map what happens in the session and what would be potentially good to do. Mm -hmm. to um, kind of uh, capitalize on it outside the session, but beyond more just simple homework. Yes? Uh, yeah. it, it, it's a little bit more complex and maybe, you know, I have that other hat a little bit of, of uh, online interventions uh, yeah. 
uh, that are accessible at any point, you know, as well. Sure, you know, so sure. many, that's, that's in the area of interest. Great. Well, I love the work you're doing and and just I, I'm really, yeah, inspired by the process kind of focus in the EFT work and just the nuances, I think, that are just really great that it sounds like are involved in the training and involved in the research. Um, and yeah, it sounds like it sounds amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Uh, it was great to learn more about your work and about uh, emotionally focused therapy. Um, yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Kita. It's just excellent that you were in Dublin a few months back, yes? And I know. We continue, and we continue our conversation. We just started it in, was it September or something? Yes. Uh -huh. It's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. And I, I appreciate your, your openness and your warmness just to respond to this guy emailing you and saying like, hey, can we oh, check? No, no, no. Um, I, I actually like what you do, is yes, Because I looked it up and I think it's really great, is yes, that... You, you not only that you run service, you know, but that, that you are doing also something for community of therapists and and uh, you know, I mean it's fantastic, yes. That um, anyway, so Great. so thanks for in, including me in in your uh, very useful and very impressive work. Oh, thank you so much. Okay, this is wonderful. I look forward to speaking with you again soon. Take care. Thanks. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to receive continuing education credits for the podcast you just listened to, please go to therapyonthecuttingedge.com and click on the link for CE. Our podcast is brought to you by the Institute for the Advancement of Psychotherapy, where we provide trainings for therapists in evidence-based models through live and online workshops, on-demand workshops, consultation groups, and online one-way mirror trainings. To learn more about our trainings and treatment for children, adolescents, families, couples, and individual adults with our licensed experienced therapists in person in the Bay Area or throughout California online, and our employment opportunities, go to sfiap.com. To learn more about our associateships and psych assistantships and low-fee treatment through our nonprofit, Bay Area Community Counseling and Family Institute of Berkeley, go to sf-bacc.org and familyinstituteofberkeley.com. If you'd like to support therapy for those in financial need and training in evidence-based treatments, you can donate by going to BACC's website at sf-bacc.org. BACC is a 501c3 nonprofit, so all donations are tax deductible. Also, we really appreciate your feedback. If you have something you're interested in, something that's on the cutting edge of the field of psychotherapy, and you think therapists out there should know about it, send us an email. We're always looking for advancements in the field of psychotherapy to create lasting change for our clients. 